Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. I am Ashley. For those who do not know me, I am a leader here, and I want to continue sharing the word with you guys. So we've been going through the Bible starting in January, and uh, we've worked straight through the way you see it when you open up your Bible. And last week we did Judges, so today after Judges is Ruth. So the book of Ruth is comprised of four chapters. And the type of book that it is, is a historical book. The date that it was written was like sometime um, in the period of, of Judges, which is between 1375 and 1050 BC. And the period it covers is, as I just said, the author is, some say was Samuel, but it's, uh, it is up for questions and it's kind of unknown simply because chronologically uh, Samuel was not alive when King David was born, uh, when King David became king. And we'll see at the end of the, of the book that it references that David was part of this whole story. So whoever, written, whoever wrote it knew that David was a significant character in the book of life. Our key verse is Ruth 1.16. It says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So I'm going to give you guys a little rundown of the, of the book of Ruth. The great thing is about it is that it's four chapters. And after everything that we've read, after all the, the books that we've gone through, it's very different. We're used to long chapters, lots of details. So I feel like I can tell you the story um, just by, really quickly so that we kind of get all on the same page. Uh, first of all, obviously, main character, Ruth, but there are other people. So we'll start off, and it says that in the days of the judges, uh, there was a man named Elimelech, and he had a wife named Naomi. And Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, and unfortunately, Elimelech died. But his two sons got married to Moabites, and Moabites were the people that were not of God, essentially. We'll keep it simple. And they married two Moabites. And one was Orpah and one was Ruth. And so Elimelech dies. And then unfortunately, the two sons die. So all is left is Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Now, they had originally come to Moabite, Elimelech and his wife and his family, because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And they were looking for somewhere that they can settle and provide for the family. Well... Everyone's gone now. All the men are gone, and it's time to make a decision. They need to make some moves. So Naomi says, I've heard great things about what's happening in Bethlehem. God has really blessed the people. Let's get out. So 
they pack up their things, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, and they head on out, walking back to Bethlehem on their own, no male companion. And so on the way back, on the way there, I'm sorry, they say, Naomi turns to to Ruth and Orpah and says to them, you know what, guys, you need to go back to your families. Go back and you're young and you, you can find someone else and you can start a family and you and we can start this all over again for you guys. But they loved Naomi so much and they wept bitterly and they said, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. And then she says some interesting stuff like, I can't give birth to kids again and you're not going to wait for them to grow up to marry them. It makes no sense. So you need to get going and think about yourselves. So Orpah gives up and says, you know what? Fine. She says, I'll go back. And she went back to her people, to her gods. But Ruth said, no way. I am not leaving you. And that's when she says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So Naomi's like, okay, let's do this. So they head back and they get to Bethlehem and everybody recognizes Naomi. They're like, oh, look, it's Naomi. And Naomi's like, no, I'm not Naomi. I'm Mara, which means bitter. So there she is in this land with her daughter-in-law, no male companions, on their own, trying to figure it out. Ruth decides, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to go glean, which means they're going into the harvest. It was the barley season and they're harvesting the barley. She's going to go out and glean. So that means follow along the workers and pick up any of the rests, anything that was left over so that she could provide for herself and for Naomi. And so she, she does that. And she just so happens to land in a field by a man named Boaz. And the foreman says, hey, sure, go ahead, glean. And she's working and working. And Boaz comes around and sees her and says, who's this girl? And the foreman says, well, she's that girl, that Naomi's daughter-in-law, the one that, that followed her over here. And she's been working hard, and she only took a rest, but she keeps going. And Boaz is very taken back by her. So he says, you know what? Let her be. Let her stay there. And let her, let her glean from the field. And so he actually approaches her, and she's like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been so kind to me. And she shows a humility, and she bows down to him. And she thanks him. And he says, you know, don't worry. Take your time. You're safe here. I've already told the men to leave you alone. And I will let you you glean in my field. And so he tells the foreman, like, let some more drop off, you know, as we're we're carrying it. Just let it it fall off so that Ruth can have some. And And so it goes. So she gets home after a hard days of work. And Naomi's like, Whoa, what, well, so what happened today? He's like, oh, I, it was great. I was on a field, and it was this man, and he was so kind to me, and his name was Boaz. Naomi's like, what? Do you know who that is? And she's so excited because she's like, that happens to be the family redeemer. So it was custom that this man, he was the closest, the closest relation to Elimelech and to, the, and to her, their eldest son, and he had the right to get the property or that or or to get and to marry Ruth, essentially, to keep the family line going. And so Naomi is so excited. She feels like this is, this is great news. Okay, you know, go back. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to get there. 
And one day, when he is, the day that is time for the festival, where they're pretty much at the threshing floor, you're going to lay down at his feet. And you're going to just, you know, present yourself there. I mean, it's all very PG, guys. It's not what you think, okay? She's like, if this was a custom, this was something that they did as a servant, you would lay at the feet of your master. So she waits for him for the right moment, and she goes, and she lays at his feet. And he's like, whoa, what you doing here? Who are you? She says, it's me. It's your servant, Ruth. And it's just, just, just throw your cloak on me, which meant essentially like she tells him, I know you're the family redeemer. Just throw your cloak over me, please. Pretty much saying, please marry me. Essentially is what Ruth is doing. A Moabite in a country that was not her own to a man that was an Israelite. And so he says, you know what? This, wow, bless you, daughter. This is, I'm sure he was like, this is different. You are a very loyal, loyal woman to, to Naomi. Here you are. You could have chosen a rich young man, a good looking guy or something like that. But yet you've decided to come and lay at my feet because you knew what that meant for Naomi. You knew what that meant for the family. And so he says, I know that there is a man that is a family redeemer closer. He's a closer relative than I am. And so I'm going to go talk to him and I'm going to settle this for you. And she's like, okay, thank you. So she goes back to Naomi. She tells, him, tells her everything. And Naomi's like, you bet it. he's a good guy. That guy's going to get everything settled quickly. And so they're very excited for their prospects. And so Boaz goes to town and he finds the, the closest relative, the family redeemer. And he says, hey, Naomi's here. And she needs to sell some land. You're the closest one. You buy it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. He's like, but you got to marry Ruth with it. She comes along. She's part of the package. And he's like, ah, I don't know about that. Uh, I got some stuff going on in my family. That's going to mess it up. So he's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Uh, that's the, uh, but you do it. You're the next one. You buy it. So they take their shoes off. I know this is very interesting. This is their custom. They take their shoe off to show the transaction, saying, like, here I am giving you this. And so it goes. Boaz purchases the land and is free to marry Ruth. And he goes back, and they marry Ruth. And they're all really excited. And what happens is that it turns out that Ruth gives birth to Obed. And Naomi is ecstatic. She's like, this is wonderful. This, this is like a whole new life for me. And it turns out that she gives birth to this baby boy named Obed, who happens to be the son, the father of Jesse. And do we know who the father of Jesse is? I mean, the son of Jesse? David. And who is part of the lineage of David? Jesus. I love it. What a beautiful story. And guys, I, I, I really like this story. It's not the first time I'm teaching on it. And I love the, the simplicity of it. You know, we, I come up here and we're like, oh, she's talking about Ruth. This is just for the women. And the men are like, no, I got something for all of us. Well, God has something for all of us. And so the wonderful thing about Ruth is the simplicity of it, like I said, is of four simple chapters and just how eloquently it is made up. And I know I was, I was here a few months ago and we talked about, remember the story of Jesus and how Jesus came back to the disciples and kind of mirrored what God, what Jesus did for them in the beginning of when he called them out. And he met with them at the shore, just like he had called out Peter. I don't know if you remember that. But 
I told and shared with you guys that I love stuff like that. Uh, I love literature. I love all that kind of stuff. So for me, when I read Ruth and I see how God has written it so perfectly with a beautiful symmetry in it, I'm so excited to share with you guys what God is doing. Because the truth is that God is not finished doing things like that. That he's doing that in our lives every single day. And that's the most amazing thing about Ruth, in my opinion, is that we're coming back from previous books, right, where everything was um, very grandiose, right? There was a lot of displays of miracles, a lot of, a lot of gore in some books, a lot of questionable, like, you know, questionable things in the sense of, like, what does this all mean? It could be confusing sometimes. But then you come to the book of Ruth, where God's power is very quiet. And it's not really mentioned, really. It's not a book like all the other books that we've read so far, right? We're not reading about a parting of a sea. We're not reading about all these different things happening. We're simply reading about everyday people who unfortunately go through tragedy and make their way trying to figure it out, leaving to another country, immigrating to another, another part, and learning to get, to get moving, to get their life along. People, women, women. I'm telling you, I emphasize the fact that these are women that came, that are moving along, and they were on the road. And who knows what could have happened to them? And how many of us, you know, are like that? We've come through. Maybe we've immigrated. Maybe we've come through tough families. And here is our story really on display. We often think that God's work needs to be done in grand displays. Like sometimes we think that even in our lives, we we see that we need, we need a big miracle. We need a light switch. We need to see it happen. Or even sometimes the way we want to serve. We feel like we need to serve overseas. I need to go be a missionary in Africa. Or I need to go over here and do this. Or, you know, I need to have a title. I need to be a pastor. I need to show that, that, I, have, that I have it all together. But in reality, I feel like God is, wants, you, wants to work with you and where you're at right now. And your simple movements and your simple life. We have so much to do. You don't think that things can get done on just simple steps. Like we need Sunday school teachers. We need greeters. We need somebody to do tech. We need all of that. And we think that maybe, what does that have to do with with the bigger plan of, of what God has for me? But I tell you that it is in those moments that you impact people. That you don't know who's standing next to you. You don't know who's the, who's the next person that's going, the next pastor, and how you can influence them. You don't know what power you hold in your hands in the sense of the influence and the relationship that you can cultivate. Do you doubt that God could move in your simple situation? Do you doubt that God won't show up in a simple but grand display of his love for you? I mean, look, look, Ruth had no idea what lied ahead for her. She was willing to follow her mother-in-law into a land that she really didn't know. She had no idea. I'm pretty sure she, had, she probably felt like an outsider. She knew that Israelites looked down to anybody who was not an Israelite. She came from a religion that sacrificed human beings. She probably had some harsh gods. And now she's coming to serve this God. She was willing to follow her and to serve her and to worship her God. 
And everything looked really grim on paper, like I said. There are women, single women. Naomi technically can be considered an elderly woman. And then you have a Moabite. No male accompaniment on the road. Returning to a place Naomi had not been to, uh, to in a long time. And who knew? Who knew what was waiting for them? What was she going to find there? How were they going to accept her and treat her? But you know, God designed it all so perfectly. He mapped it out perfectly. On that road, they met with God's providence, really. And fortunately, they didn't meet with the bad things, but they met with God's providence. We read that when God goes out to, when Ruth goes out to glean, that she just so happens to be on, Ru, on Boaz's field, the family redeemer. She, it, the Bible says, as it turns out. I love that. I love how casual that is. And sometimes that's how we are. Some things are casual. It's like, as it turns out, I was here and this person was there. And then we knew each other because of so-and-so. And and then because of that, this happened. And I love that because that's what happens in this book. And it just emphasizes the fact that sometimes the story is as it turns out. As it was, it so happened to be. And that's how God works. I was so struck by that. I had not not noticed, and and I I didn't even really remember that part, but I I thought how perfect that God would bring her to the field that belonged to the man that had the customary right to save her family, essentially, to save her and Naomi and elevate their prospects. That just so happens to be a man of noble character. That God was just so happened to provide a man that was honest and loyal and took care of them. You know, going back to the idea of the book of Ruth of being different from all the other books that we've read so far, it's a simple message, like I keep saying. I like, something stuck out to me. I call it a a quiet message. A message of the extraordinary disguised in the ordinary everyday lives of these people trying to make the best to make it through. That sounds like you and me. What a perfect foreshadowing of Jesus and his ministry. While the Jews were waiting for a war hero, someone to ride in on his white horse, taking skulls and bags, taking names, doing the big thing, that's not what Jesus did. He came in quietly and meekly. Jesus in the manger. Jesus as a baby in the manger. Jesus washing feet. Jesus healing people. And Jesus surrendering to death on a cross. Say, to me, his was a quiet revolution. We often complicate things. We look for God to make the big show. Come down, God. Take names. Kick butt. Let's do this. I want to do big things. I want to go big places. I want to be different. I want to shine bright like a diamond. I want to be this. I want to be that. But God is simple and quiet and loving and gentle and humble. We're changed by the characters of these books because I feel that they imitate those qualities that God is trying to cultivate in us in our quiet lives. It's about your character. It's about the things 
that you display. It's about how you treat people. So when I was reading this, three things stuck out to me about these three main characters. The good quality, godly qualities that God is trying to bring out in us, that he's looking for. It's love, kindness, and wisdom, like Naomi. You have loyalty and boldness, like Ruth. And you have generosity and integrity, like Boaz. So I want to go through them. I want to point back to some of the verses and talk to you about this. So we'll we'll start with Naomi, her love, kindness, and wisdom. In Ruth chapter 118, it says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, this is chapter 1, this is going back to when they decided to go back to Bethlehem. Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. You see, when I read this, I mostly, I, you know, I mostly think of who is Naomi for these women to not have wanted to leave her. We are talking about a woman of God who meant something to these younger women. Women that came from a different country of different beliefs, and yet they wanted to come back to this strange land with her. They wanted to follow her. Can you imagine the kind of character that she must have had for these women to want to be with her, to give up their comfort of what they know, to follow into an unknown? How often can we say that we have gained the confidence of those around us that are not of people of God? Have we been able to show them love and kindness like that? Would somebody want to follow you and trust in you and, 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 and believe in what you're believing simply because of the love and the kindness that you have shown them? People talk about mother-in-laws, la suegra. Uh-oh, here comes la suegra. But this is not what's happening in this book. That's the amazing thing. And maybe that's the culture, right? There's always that you want to take into account. But I'm talking to you today. And I'm saying, this was a woman that loved on these girls. She took these girls from what they were, from ungodly women, and somehow brought alive God in them. And how much do we do that? You know, I think about myself. I think about myself at work. Because really, at the end of the day, that's just the majority of time, right? They say that you spend the most time with people at work. And I wonder to myself, like, is... Are they seeing my love and kindness? Are my coworkers feeling loved by me? So we work together for one goal and we, we, got, we get things done, but do they know that, that they can count on me? Do they know the God in me? But like sometimes we just concentrate too much on people's negative flaws. I think we, we get lost in the fact that people are imperfect. We think that they're so different. I mean, we look at our politics. We look at everything that happens in this world right now. We focus too much on our differences. When are we like, are we not remembering what what keeps us the same? I think of John chapter 13, verse 35. 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I say this to us here. We're family. Are we in it together? Are we doing this together? Are we holding each other accountable? Are we loving on each other? Are we showing each other that you're not alone? So we focus so much on the differences that we lose sight of the main thing that keeps us the same, and that's Jesus. See, Ruth's difference was that she was a Moabite, but her willingness to surrender to her personal needs eclipsed her differences. Surrendering to to what Naomi needed. She chose to follow this elderly woman into a foreign land to a people she did not belong to and did not share the same religion. Naomi took Ruth in like her own daughter. Are we taking people in like our own family? Are we taking in our fellow brother and sisters like they are really a brother and a sister? So we... I feel like so many of us think that we're alone. There are different situations. Maybe there are women out there right now. Moms, it can be overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And we feel alone sometimes. And we feel like this is, I'm drowning and I don't know who I am. But you're not alone. Are we talking about that? Men, sometimes you feel the burden of being the the breadwinner or maybe the leader of the family, and you feel like, man, I don't got my stuff together. I need to get my stuff together. But did you know that you're not alone? And did you know that this journey was not meant to be alone? It really isn't. It was not designed. You can look at Jesus. He is the ultimate model. There were 12 disciples. He was never alone. And if he was, it's because he was talking to God. That was simple. Always surrounded by people. Always working together. Look at the first church. I love reading about the first church because my desire is to get to that point. I know there's a lot of sacrifices and we look different because our culture is different, but they gave up everything for one another. Nothing. They considered nothing their own. You wanted this? Here. Take it. You need this? Here. Have it. Mine is yours. Because they were married in that unity. They were married in what Christ did and in what what he did for us, for us to be one. Can we say that we're doing that for others? Can we look inside right now and say, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to really reach the people in my church. I'm trying to reach out. So-and-so keeps coming to my head. Did you follow through? Did you call them up? Did you text them? I feel like somebody needs something right now. Did you reach out? I speak to myself, guys. I feel like this teaching was for me, too. I feel like we need to wake up. People need to see us for the love that we have for one another. So I'm sorry if I haven't showed you enough love. But I think that now is the time. I think now is the time that we show each other what it truly means to be in Christ. Because honestly... Just a quick rant. I'm so done looking like the American church. I want us to look like that first church. We, do, we are meant to look like that because the world is getting darker and darker. And what's happening to our light? We have a light and a responsibility to put it on a stand and let it shine. I'm speaking to myself, and I'm saying it to you guys, to you, to you watching. Where are we? Wake up. 
It's time for a revolution. And it might be quiet. Yes, I'm saying that. And that's what maybe throws people off. That I'm not saying, take up your pitchforks and let's go. No, it's a quiet one. It's a loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Is a following into what God is calling you to do. It is laying down your cross. It is believing that you and I are brothers and sisters and that I love you and I will do whatever you need me to do. My children are your children. Your children are my children. Step up. Step up. I call I just I want to call it out like that. And I say it to myself. We need to step up. And we go into Naomi's wisdom. She encouraged Ruth to follow Boaz and to do as and to do as she said, to 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 listen to her. She encouraged Naomi to listen. That's Boaz. That's the guy. That's the key right now. Prospects are looking low for us. Let's do this. So then in chapter 3, you see Naomi encourage Ruth to go to him in humility, quiet, humility, lay at his feet and to appeal to his kindness and do the ultimate ask for his hand in marriage. That's, that's intense. Are we seeking out that wisdom? Naomi's wisdom came from her age, right? But she was also a woman of God. You are also a woman of God. You are also a man of God. Naomi's wisdom came from that. And years and years after hearing about God and the stories of his character influenced her because she was a woman and she didn't get to really experience the way men did the the word of God. But still, she heard the stories. She remembered everything that he had done for them. Are we looking to learn for more of God, about who he is. Something that, that's been on my mind is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. How do we come to fear and respect God? And I know that sounds so foreign to some of us. This is Why would we want to fear God? No, it's a respect. It's a reverence to the almighty God. First of all, you believe in God, right? You're here. You want to believe in God. You're watching, sitting here. You believe in God. You believe or he's done something in your life to make you come here, right? So now you want to love God in return. And there's something about him. You recognize that he has the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? So I fear and reverence that God because I know at the drop of a dime, my God will smite me, right? But he doesn't do that, right? Because we have Christ and grace. But I still have fear and reverence for my God because he can do that. And because he won't do that right now because I have grace because that's what he promised me, right? I am forgiven because I have confessed with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? But I want to fear him because his word tells me that that's the beginning of wisdom because I want wisdom. Who doesn't want wisdom? Who doesn't want wisdom? Maybe somebody who doesn't want to be bothered by people. I get it. Well, let me go to her. She knows it all. No. How do we get to come to fear to God? Through knowing his character, period. 
How do we learn about his character? Reading his word. Hearing other people's testimony. When we gather all of that up, understanding of the Lord, then we will find wisdom. I go back to hearing people, others' testimony. That is my favorite thing. I look at my friends, my immediate friends, right? Like, I'll, I'll just name drop. Sorry, I'm going to name drop. I look at the Arisos. I look at the Felicianos. I look at all, my, all these friends of mine. I look at Sonia Chacon. Well, excuse me, Joseph. I look at all my friends. These are people that I grew up in the church with. And let me tell you how excited. The Torreses, the, the Bitterantes, all these people that I was in youth group with. I look at their story. I look at what God has done in their lives. And okay, I don't even have to look in my life. I don't even have to look at how faithful God is in my life because I look at the faithfulness that God has displayed in my friends' lives and I say, that's it, God exists. Because these are people that have surrendered their lives to Christ, that love Christ, that follow Christ, and I see the goodness overflowing over and over. And I say, God, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. So those are the things that make me know that the character of God is good and true and faithful and kind and wise and everything that I want to be. And so you need to gather up and rub elbows with those people in this church. Find your friends. Don't let go. Because you will see the goodness of God in this land through them. They, They are loving God and you're loving God. And that's how we're going to show the world that we got wisdom, that we know God, and that they want to be like us. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to live in sin, worrying about all those silly things. I can't even, the list is so long, really, honestly. Just look outside. It's, It's long. I don't want to be there. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously at all to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How good is God? How simple is God? That you should ask and you shall receive. Who would have thought? Who would have ever thought? It's not that complicated. Moving on to boldness and loyalty like Ruth. Talk about loyalty. In chapter 1, verse 16, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you will live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Then you got chapter 2, verse 11. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything that you have done for your mother-in-law, he's talking to Ruth, since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live there, to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And in chapter 3, verse 10, The Lord bless you. This is when she goes to to Boaz and she lays at his feet. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. 
Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town to know you are a virtuous woman. So Ruth was loyal to Naomi because of the relationship she had with her. The relationship that she had with her spurred her on to be loyal. There was mutual love and kindness and understanding. But because of this loyalty, Ruth was blessed with an outcome that she couldn't even fully grasp, really, at the end of the day. She got what she needed. She got a husband. Uh Uh-huh, go girl. You got it. But really, what happens? At the end, she has a son. And who is this son? Is the father of Jesse. And Jesse's the father of David. And David is in the lineage of Jesus. So really, how much of her is really part of the big, big plan? When she thought her everyday life was just just pushing through. I got to make it through. I got to get there. I got to get something done. But God took that and made a blessing. And you want to look back and think of Orpah, the other, the other daughter-in-law. She loved Naomi too. You saw she was willing to go with her. And Naomi convinced her like, no, 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 go, go back. You need this. You need, you need a life. You need a new chance. And she stuck to her gods. She stuck to her mentality. She stuck to that. And she decided to go back. She surrendered her, she surrendered her loyalty and possibly a path that will lead her to a greater blessing. We don't know what happened to Orpa, but we know what happened to Ruth. Have we forfeited our loyalty along with a blessing on a path that could lead us to a blessing that, that for generations? Have you submitted your loyalty and given up something? We don't know. We don't know. We won't know, right? Our kids might know, and maybe they won't even know. Maybe our grandkids, maybe our great-grandkids. But I would like to think because of my loyalty to God, because of my loyalty in wherever I am, that my generations will be blessed by it. That because I was loyal and the voice of God and listening and acting and moving upon it, that my generations will love God, fear God, and serve God forever and ever. Like that song. And a thousand generations for your children and your children. That's, that's loyalty displayed. And Jesus was always loyal to the plan. The plan that was evident. He was loyal to it. We saw it in his prayer in the garden. He says, God, take this cup. But not my will, your will. This is rough, God, but not my will. Your will. He knew there was something bigger. He knew there was something grander. And he might not have seen it, but he knew. Obviously, he's a son of God. But imagine us in his shoes. Could we? Would we? Say, not my will, your will. We tense up. We freeze up when things are not what what don't feel comfortable. Ooh, maybe I should leave. Ooh, maybe I need to go to a new church. Ooh, maybe I need this. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be here. It's going to be uncomfortable. But are you loyal? Are we loyal in this way? Do we show loyalty to our friends, to our leaders? I know it's a tough one. We're all humans. Our leaders are humans. 
But God put them there for a reason, no? To submit yourselves to others in loving in a healthy way. Now, I must state that for you guys, that you want to love and be loyal in a healthy way, okay? Your, your mental health is important. Your emotional health is important, so you need to discern that. You need to understand that. I want to make that a like side note. We can, work to get, we can work together towards one goal, changing our community together when we are loyal to one another, loyal to God's plan, working as one in a quiet revolution, surrendering to one another, because a house divided against itself is going gonna, gonna to fall. We want all the same thing, really. You and me, you here, you watching. Again, you're watching for a reason. You all want the same thing. We want more Jesus, more Jesus in our lives. We want more Jesus in our homes. We want more of him in our communities, in our workplace, and ultimately in this world because we know it needs it. They need him. But how can we manage that without being loyal to one another, without serving one another, loving one another, kindness to one another? Loyalty is synonymous to unity. Going on to boldness. We'll see in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, One day Ruth and the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. I, like, I added boldness and initiative. Ruth displayed boldness and initiative. She didn't sit around on her hands. She got up. She said to her, Naomi didn't tell her to do it. She said, let me go out into the harvest field. Maybe, you know, maybe we can get something. Maybe we can get fed. She took initiative. She saw a need. She got up. She got it done. Chapter 2, verse 6. And the foreman replied. This is when she was in the field. And Moses is like, oh, who's that? She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me to bring this. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She had been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Hard worker. She was bold. She did what she needed to do. She took initiative. In the message version for chapter 3, verse 9, it says, and he said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative. You know, in, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers, you do have the right to marry me. There it is. She was bold enough to say that. She was bold enough to get down on one knee and ask him to marry her. He says, you know, you know you're the covenant redeemer. Marry me. Come on. She was bold enough to do that. Do we display that boldness? Do we display that boldness? Do we walk in the confidence that we know that we have Christ in us? Are we bold in our love for others? Or do we shrink back when somebody reacts the way that we don't want them to react? Or they say the nasty things? Because unfortunately, we're all human. And we're all being healed constantly. And he's putting us back together over and over again. 
and we say some mean things. But are we bold enough to look past those things? Bold enough to say, you know what? I know they're going through something. I love you. I know that what you're saying is not what, what's truly in there. What you want to be, at least. I mean, some, the heart, there's messed up stuff in there. But it's boldness to look beyond that and to love the person. It was boldness for Boaz to look beyond what Ruth was, a Moabite, not a woman of God, was boldness to take into account all of her faithfulness and her integrity and her boldness. And he matched it. Being bold for Christ, defending the gospel. Do we do that? And no, sometimes it's not easy, especially if you encounter people. Maybe you, you, you're not a, like a, 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 how do you say that? Like um, someone who, who speaks and is aggressive, though some of us are not that way, but you encounter people who are, and then they want to say something and, and tear down the gospel. But do you have boldness to say, ah, I don't care what you say. I know this God. I have met him face to face, figuratively speaking. I know him by name, and he knows me by name. Are we bold enough to say that? Because sometimes we think we need to know apologetics, but let me tell you, you don't need apologetics. You don't need to know the history of so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. You need to know your history, okay? You need to know what God has done in your life and stand on that boldness. That's it. It's like, hey, you don't want to believe in God? That's cool with me, but you can't, I can't ignore when he did this and this and this and this and this for me and my family. That's it. Are you able to stand on that? And maybe you're like, but Ashley, I don't know what those things are, what do I stand on? Well, then ask God. Seek him out. He'll show up. He'll show you. Remember when you did this and this and this? You deserved this and this and this. But I was there for you. I brought you out. I took care of you when you needed that such and such. It takes boldness to do the right thing to make godly decisions. It does take boldness. It's easy to shrink back, give the decision to someone else. But it's boldness to state what God would want. It's boldness to do what God would want. Going into integrity and generosity like Boaz. So we're going into generosity. Chapter 2, verse 8. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. In chapter 2, verse 15, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He mixed six scoops. He's saying this to Ruth. He mixed six scoops of barley. into the, He scooped them into the cloak and placed it on her back. He was generous with his wealth, as we see. He let her glean in a field, while other people, while the world would probably be like, No, 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 you don't get no free handouts. What is this? Shoo, 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 shoo. He didn't do that. He let her glean in his field, and then he told them, don't touch her, because it was rough for women out there. Don't touch her. 
You look out for her. And then he, was, he said, drop a couple of bundles for her. And then and on top of it, when, he, when, she had, when she had asked for his hand in marriage, he said, you know what, don't go back empty-handed. Here, take some more. Generous with his wealth. Are we generous with our wealth? But I don't have wealth. Yes, you do. Sorry, you live in America. You got wealth. You got it. You fed. Somebody's looking out for you always. And I'm granted, I'm not trying to negate that there are people who need in, the, in this community. And we are here to help with that, right? We have a lot of things in place for that. I'm talking to a bunch of us that we have wealth. We have enough. Do we act in generosity? Are we open with our hands and trusting that, you know what? Like that widow was her last coin. She didn't know what she was going to do, but she gave it anyway. She put it down anyway because she trusted that God would be there to pick up whatever she needed, to hand out what she needed. In verse 13 in chapter 2, it says, You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. This was Ruth speaking to Boaz, and I feel like he was showing generosity with his attitude and words. He was being kind. He comforted her. A woman who might have been scared, had no idea what was happening. He was comforting her. He was being generous with his attitude. Are we generous with our attitudes and our words? Are we generous with our words? Not bad words, good words. Are we generous in encouraging others? Are we generous in telling them, you know what? I like when she did that. Or I like when he did that. I like this. How, how nice would it be if we could just generously hand out compliments every day? Ooh, I like your shirt. Ooh, your smile's great. I know people would feel that. I know that God's love comes through that in just a smidge, but just enough for what that person needs. Chapter 2, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. Boaz was generous with his time. He invited her to sit with him. He invited her to sit with with the people and to be part of it. Are we generous with our time? Are we being generous with the people around us? Some people just need time. Some people just want to sit with you. Some people are, they're just looking for you. I mean, I, I know from my kids, sometimes I feel so, it's, it's rough. It's rough. You work all day and you get home and that, you're it. Mommy, mommy, play with me. Sit with me. Sit with me. But am I not showing the love of God when I generously sit with her and play with her? Because what she's going to remember, hopefully, is that I was generous with my time and I sat with her. And that's my kids. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to be generous with your time. Maybe somebody you feel that keeps tugging at your heart that you say, I really need to be spending time with this person. You don't know what they're going through. Maybe they need someone like you. We go to chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, and I'm going to say this one in the message version. It says, he said, God bless you, my daughter. What a splendid expression of love. That was a relief. I must say as a side note. That must be rough. She had to propose, and he was pretty ecstatic about it. So that's great. Woo, that worked out. 
And when you could have had your pick of any of the young men around, and now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are, a real prize. You're right. I'm a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. So stay the rest of the night in the morning. If he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if it isn't, as God lives, I will do it. And he was generous with his heart. He was generous with his heart. Loving somebody, it takes laying yourself down. It takes recognizing that, yes, I can get hurt. Yes, I can get hurt. But I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to generously love them anyway. Talking about integrity, it says in, in chapter 3, verse 18, that Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. And to me, that shows integrity. They knew he was a man of his word. They knew that he was going to get it done. Business was going to be completed and everything was going to work out. Are we that person of integrity? Are we showing that our yes is our yes and our no is our no? Are we standing firm in what we say and not backing down when things don't look good or when, when somebody's, you know, coming up and against what, what you're saying? Are you going to stand? Are you going to stand firm? Are you going to show that you have integrity? We went through all of this. And these are all characteristics that God has called us to be like, to have integrity, generosity, to have boldness and initiative, to be loyal, to have love and kindness and wisdom. I feel like the book of Ruth has taught us that. And there's so many other lessons in the book of Ruth. I encourage you to read them. There were little bits and pieces, and that's the most amazing thing about the word of God is that you can go back and read it, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, and he will show you something different. He will speak to your heart. But that is what I have to share with you guys today. Is that God, one, is working behind the scenes. He's in every detail. He's in his quiet revolution. And do you want to be part of it? God goes full circle. God does everything in design. Look at the book of Ruth. Started with tragedy and death. But ended in in birth and celebration. A full 180, right? 180? I'm not good at math, guys, sorry. But that is God. You look at your life right now and you might feel like nothing makes sense. What am I doing? What part do I play? You play a big part because you're part of people who love you. You're a part of a church. You're part of a community and you have something to lay down. You have all of these characteristics that God is trying to draw out of you because these are all things that God is. This is all that God did. This is all that Jesus was when he walked this earth. And he's calling us out to be those things, 
to act like those characteristics, to have those characteristics, to love, to be kind, to have wisdom and to share it and to be generous and to have integrity and to, and to be bold and to have initiative. Imagine if we would all harness that. Imagine if we all took that and put that on our tool belts and we lived that out every single day. How effective would we be? How effective would we be in our love to one another? How much more would we know of love if we gave ourselves like that so freely? I just want to pray for you guys. And I want to, I want to encourage you to look at your life and see what God is doing in it. That tomorrow when you go to work, remember, it's a quiet revolution. It's in a smile. It's in an encouraging word. It's in a generous act. It's in your boldness. But God is moving. God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Do you want him to come out? Do you want him to be seen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are living and you're active and you are true and you are perfect, God. Your plan is perfect. You are perfect in all you do, God. And we recognize you as the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning and you're the end and you're everything in between, God. And we ask you, Lord, to help us with our in-between. We know, sometimes we feel like we need un to understand. We want to know. But Father, help us to just trust, to just let go, to be in you, to be in the now, to be in the simplicity of your love and your grace and your mercy, my God. I thank you so much for every individual family here that is represented and everyone that is watching. God, you know them by name. You know everything that they've been through and you know what they're going through. And I know and trust, God, that you will use all things for the good of those who love you and that we are ca called according to your purpose, Lord. So we lay ourselves down and we recognize you as the king of kings and we recognize you as the author and designer of our chapters, of every single story, of every single thing. You are the author, Father. We love and worship you, God. Remind us tomorrow. Remind us as we go about that you are calling us to a quiet revolution, a simple, loving, gentle, humble revolution. We thank you, Father, because you will take that and turn it into something bigger than us. We thank you, Father, that we are part of it. And if we would just humble ourselves and pray, we know that you would listen, that you would turn your ear. We love you, God, and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week, guys. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode.
See you next time.